Welcome everybody to the Greenhouse Environmental Humanities book talk for today. Uh, we're excited to welcome Paul Merchant, um, who's a lecturer in Latin American film and visual culture at the University of Bristol. And uh, Paul has a focus um, in film, um, particularly with Chile, Peru, Bolivia, and work in Argentina. And he's going to be talking to us about a new volume that he's just co-edited with Lucy Bullington um, called The Limits of the Human in Latin American Culture with University Press of Florida. And it actually comes out uh, one week from today, officially as a release date. So yep. we're excited to get this uh, preview. Advanced preview, uh, yeah. From Paul about his work. <laughs> so I'll turn it over to you, Paul, um, to talk about what's going on there. Great, thanks very much. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dolly, for the invitation to present our new book. And thank you all for, uh, for joining us uh, in these uh, strange times and uh, over the Easter holidays as well. Um, it's really nice to be able to maintain some sort of forms of, of academic community and create some new forms of it, at least for me, um, in, these, in these strange times. So, and I hope, so I hope you're all keeping well and in good spirits wherever, wherever you are. Um, I'll talk a little bit about how the book came about. Um, I'll give you a bit of an overview of what we hope to achieve and the range of the contributions. Um, and I'll read a little bit uh, from some bits of the introduction that I, I think hopefully kind of summarize some of the, the key ideas that we're, that we're dealing with and the key interventions that we want to make. Um, and then I'll be really happy to respond to any questions um, and to discuss ideas further with you after that. Um, the title of the book actually sounds like I might need to update my profile. The, the publishers switched it round uh, towards the end. So it's now Latin American culture and the limits of the human. So we've got, which I think is, yeah, was a good idea on their part, kind of sets them two on, a, on, a, on an equal footing. Um, but as Dolly said, it's out next week on the, on the 21st of April. So uh, do go and have a look on the, the UPF website. There are big discounts at the moment. So yeah, there's my plug. Um, my co-editor, Lucy Bollington, who's now a lecturer in comparative literature at UCL, and I, we began formulating this collaboration early in 2015, so quite a while ago, over coffee in Cambridge here in England, when we were both PhD students at the Centre of Latin American Studies there, there in Cambridge. We wanted to take stock of the ways that the turn to the non-human and the post-human across academic disciplines, particularly in the humanities, had impacted and could influence um, studies of Latin American culture, Latin American cultural production as well. We also felt that despite some bold and provocative interventions in that field, there hadn't been a comprehensive attempt to account for how those critical approaches, these ideas of the post-human and the non-human intersect with others that have been seen as more characteristic of Latin American cultural studies. So, for instance, post-colonial and decolonial theory, as well as questions of biopolitics and necropolitics and political ecology. So the first incarnation of this project was a two-day conference uh, at the University of Cambridge in January 2017. And many of the contributors to the volume spoke at that event, although we've got a couple of other, other people uh, involved since as well. Um, 
And one of the things that really surprised us about what came out of that conference, because, you know, you put out a call for papers and you suggest some areas, but you're never quite sure what you're going to get. And I think one of the things that most surprised us was the historical scope of the contributions, because I think to a degree, I, was, I certainly felt like, OK, we're going to get more modern contemporary stuff. Um, but in fact, Nicole Legnani, who's in the volume, who's a, a professor at Princeton, spoke about uh, multiplying rabbits and the destruction that they wrought on the island of Madeira as a figure for the colonial disruption of human nature boundaries in a 16th century text by Bartolomé de las Casas. While other speakers brought us through the 19th and 20th century right up to the 21st century with discussions of contemporary documentary film from Chile, installation art from Mexico, so right across the, across the region. And I hope that one of the book's principal contributions is to a re-evaluation of how histories are written and told, who and what the subjects of histories of Latin America how can those histories be rewritten with other subjects, non-human, non-European, uh, at the fore? So thinking really here about the intersection between uh, the more than human entanglements that we, that we read about in the work of figures like Jane Bennett or Bruno Latour or Donna Haraway um, with post-colonial realities. Um, Carsten Schultz, who's at the University of Groningen, has written about the risk that those sorts of entanglements might simply replace the idea of undifferentiated humanity with another abstract universal. Um, and we mustn't forget, Schultz argues, and this is kind of one of our key arguments in the book, is that some humans have always been considered to be outside the realm of society, to be not quite human, and to be closer to a, an objectified nature, that this is a strategy of colonial power. We see that in a colonial context in the book, also in the nascent Brazilian state in the late 19th century uh, in Edward King's chapter, and as, a and as a strategy of Augusto Pinochet's dictatorship in Chile in Neil Geraghty's chapter, which closes the volume. And one of, the, one of the reasons we chose the title, The Limits of the Human, is that we think that thinking at the limit, um, thinking at the border, that has been traced over the centuries in different ways between the human and the non-human can help us articulate ecological problems and other kinds of political problems without falling into new kinds of totalizations. Um, and that, so Schultz argues that that kind of thinking um, allows the new materialist trope of enchantment to be a kind of contestation to colonial practices of power, of appropriation, objectification. And our contributors make a strong case for Latin America as a terrain of remarkable creativity and also of new conceptions of creativity. Several chapters examine artworks that involve the spectator or really the participant in unsettling ways and present the creative process itself as a collaboration with non-human actors. The chapters by Joanna Page, Neil Garrity are good examples of this. So before I, I'll give you a, a fuller overview of the, of the chapters and the kind of outline of the, of the volume in a second. Um, but before I do that, just to kind of try and summarize then some of the broader debates that we sought to intervene in. Um, one of these would be how to practice critical post-humanism, uh, as Rosie Brydotti calls it, and that's very much the current that we were, one of the currents that we're most interested in following. 
how to practice that in the global south, where, as I said, definitions of the human and the non-human have long been a tool of power and exclusion. What value is there in reframing the objects of study of, you know, what we still call the humanities in this context? Can it be done without neglecting real human suffering and inequality? The contributions to the volume tend towards arguing that yes, that it can offer new ways of mapping networks of power, um, giving the, showing the full extent of maps of inequality. But they're cautious about globalizing terms for doing this, uh, particularly terms like the Anthropocene. So a couple, at least two of our contributors follow on from the work of someone like Jason W. Moore, who says, that, well, okay, that's, Anthropocene is not telling us uh, about the key role of capital in, uh, in, the, in the entanglement of humans with, uh, with non-human environments. Uh, work that's been done in the field of post-colonial ecologies by people like uh, Elizabeth de Lowry and others. Um, and then going back to this question about the narration of history, the problems with the teleological connotations of the term post-human itself, um, and certain ideas of progress and modernity written into um, that definition. So, to move on then briefly to uh, the, the outline of the book, um, the book has three sections. It opens with some explorations of what we call the necropolitical limits of the human, uh, and it, which investigate creative reformulations of what are familiar Latin Americanist tropes of witnessing, the witnessing of violence and testimonio, a literary genre of uh, uh, witness to, to violent political events. And our contributors here, Carlos Fonseca is the first one, um, argue that to bear witness means, as Fonseca puts it, most literally to become post-human in the sense of death. It often involves um, having to, to give up the status of a, of a living human. Um, Liliana Chavez-Diaz looks at websites and new media, uh, multimedia digital projects, uh, and the new representational and narratological strategies they use to present marginalized stories. Um, and so delves into the idea that the witness, the eyewitness, can actually be a figure that is not just human, that other objects or figures can act as witnesses to, um, uh, to forms of violence, as records of, of histories of violence. Natalia Aguilar Vasquez then takes up some similar ideas by looking at installation art by Teresa Margolles and Oscar Munoz, and looks at how water in particular becomes a, a medium for um, involving the spectator physically in installations that have to do with the, and it's fairly gruesome this chapter actually, the sort of material remnants of, of the dead corpses um, as kind of key figures um, in, those, in that, those instances of cultural production. And then Lucy, Lucy Bollington's chapter uh, is about a Mexican novel called Fiesta en la Madriguera uh, by Villalobos. Um, this is about narco-literature and understanding the drug war um, through its kind of effects on non-human animals and the way that non-human animals um, as expressions of wealth are drawn into uh, the, the geographies and the politics of the, of the drug war. The second part of the book, the second part of three, is called Animal and Plant Entanglements, and so we focus more explicitly on human non-human intersections there. Here we have Nicole's chapter about uh, the plague of rabbits on Madeira, 
that I already mentioned that anticipates the colonial unsettling of the human and its relation to, the, to nature in the Americas. Um, Nicole Lignani is one of those who draws on Jason W. Moore's work on, uh, on the, the Capitolocene um, here. Emily Baker then looks at a recent Argentine novel called The Dark Constellations, Las Constellaciones Oscuras from 2016. And here you get a really fascinating exploration of hybrid forms, human, animal, digital hybrids from the 19th century into an imagined future. Um, and what Baker suggests there is that there's an ambivalent political potential to these sorts of hybridizations. They can have liberatory effects, but they can also be um, instruments of uh, authoritarian control as well. And the, the novel's fascinating. It finds affinities between Inca cosmology and uh, contemporary practices of hacking, thinking about the gaps. Um, the way that Inca looked at constellations, for example, it was all, they, they found the shapes in the gaps between the stars, uh, the dark spaces rather than uh, the stars. So sort of a story told from the gaps there. Um, the following chapter by Joey Whitfield, who's a colleague uh, at Cardiff University, is on the Colombian film Embrace of the Serpent. Many of you may have seen that. It was tremendously successful. Um, this re resists linear narration, as does the novel that Emily looks at. Um, and it's a, it draws on historical travelogues of um, European and North American explorers in the, uh, in the Amazon. He looks at post-humanist thought that is concerned with interspecies communication between animals and humans and Amazonian plants and humans and brings that into dialogue in a, in a fascinating way with a kind of less respectable, as he, put it, as he puts it, strand of uh, post-humanist thought, which is uh, sort of the counter-cultural counter movement of advocating psychedelic drugs and the sort of post-human inflections of that based on the, uh, the importance of uh, psychedelic drugs in, in that film. Um, and then the final, um, the final part of the book, which kind of draws together, uh, it takes a sort of broader perspective in some ways, is called Ecology, Hierarchy, Horizontality. Um, and here, uh, Joanna Page explores the ecological, this is in the first chapter, ecological and utopian exhibitions of Tomás Saraceno, who's an Argentine artist, they're based in Europe. And I really encourage you to look up his work. So when I mentioned the artists look at seeing creativity as, as a process of collaboration with non-human forces, he has an amazing piece that is constructed partly by him, but mostly by a huge number of spiders um, that create spiders webs in, in, uh, in beautiful patterns. Um, and Joanna Page sees these works as kind of instances of critical reflection on human non-human relations rather than just naive humanism. Rebecca Kosick, who's a colleague of mine at Bristol, then looks at objects in the artworks of Ligia Papi, who's a well-known member of the neo-concrete artistic and poetry movement in Brazil. And so she's thinking about kind of possibility of post-human feminism there. Um, Ed King, who's another colleague from Bristol, he looks at a photo book and here, um, looking particularly at kind of rocks and as witnesses, and as a way of art articulating relation, relational aesthetics. Um, and this is where he sees a kind of a denial of hu human status as an operation of the, of the modern Brazilian state in the late 19th century. And then finally, Neil Garrity has a reading of Patricio Guzman's wonderful documentary, Nostalgia for the Light, um, 
And he suggests that the kind of intensely material tactile images of that documentaries represent the foundation of a potential post-human politics. So he takes up Jane Bennett's idea of enchanted materialism and kind of gives it a, a different spin there. And throughout the volume, um, what hopefully that, that summary shows you is that aesthetic forms that challenge dominant understandings of humanism and the human don't deny then persistent hierarchies and inequalities, but rather reveal them more fully and thereby also suggest new strategies of resistance. And that's why the limits of any one figuration of the human, and we think we're, we're insistent throughout, our contributors are sort of insistent throughout on location, both in, in terms of both temporally and, and geographically. But those limits of any one figuration of the human, which we argue are especially visible in Latin America, um, become a productive or even fruitful zone for critical reflection. And so we hope that the long-standing discussions about power, location, and identity in Latin American cultural studies, but also in other areas of the humanities and of cultural studies, um, will be enriched uh, and broadened uh, by, by the essays in, in the volume. Now, I'll just see, I think that has pretty much um, covered, uh, covered it. Oh yes, now I'll just say just a couple more things and then I will, I will finish. So hopefully you've got a sense there that you know, there are at least two overarching conceptual perspectives. Um, one is the necropolitical loss of human life in spaces marked by extreme violence and the aesthetic, representational, political and even ethical limitations connected to this loss. We saw that more, more in the first half of the book. Um, and the second is the porous and kinetic relationship between the human and the non-human, whether that's animal or mineral or other, across history and how that's changed, how that's become entangled in, in confrontations and articulations of power. Um, that, and I think that is where I will leave my, uh, my initial presentation. And as I said, I'm very happy to uh, discuss any ideas further um, and to, to answer any questions that you might have. Okay. Thank you very much, Paul. Um, that was a great run through of this book. It sounds really exciting to get such a group together um, with a wide range of uh, texts and film and art that they're dealing with to grapple with these questions. Um, so I just wanted to, to start off with a question myself about this power relation then between human and non-human and this limit, but in terms of breaking down the non-human to different kinds sure. of non-humans. Sure. As you describe the, the contributions, some deal with um, animals in particular, charismatic uh, type or larger mammals yeah. Yeah. Uh, versus others are dealing with uh, water as a, mm. as a substance mm. um, versus, you know, the, uh, the hallucinogenic plants. Um, yes. So how, how do those line up in terms of power relations? Yeah, that's a really good question. Thank you. Um, I'm not sure that I could discern necessarily a kind of 
I'd, that I'd feel able sort of immediately to categorize them and say that, you know, okay, the charismatic animals kind of have one particular role um, and that, you know, it, that um, substances like the stone that Ed writes about or, or water kind of work, work differently. I mean, the way that we, that we set it out is that, you know, that all of these in different ways, um, uh, not so unsettle the unsettle the, the the relationship i mean i think i mean that's something that that future research could kind of could look at in more detail i think that just sort of the differentiation between the different types of animals the different the different types of of non-human i mean i think what's nice about um something like the work of Tomas saraceno for example that joanna writes about in um in her chapter is that it takes an animal like the spider uh, which is, you know, not see, not a kind of cute, fluffy animal, um, but is that it is presented as a as a collaborator uh, there in the kind of in the construction of a new kind of kind of artwork. Um, so I suppose what I'd say is that you know these non-human actors often don't really perform the role that you think that they that you might assume that they would, because you know, and then the because the rabbits. Uh, in Las Casas's text are agents of destruction. I mean, they have a totally disastrous effect. Um, so yes, it doesn't sort of conform to the kind of hierarchy that you might expect, I suppose, is how I die, is what I'd say. Thanks, that's great. Um, our, we have a question from the person who has a number as their <laughs> call uh, thing. So if you want to unmute, let's see, unmute you. So not sure who this is. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. Uh, my name is Gita Vestergaard. I, I just checked in, uh, got a little confused with the, with the signing into Zoom. So uh, I think that's, that's why the, the numbers that, that I'm a PhD student at the Stavanger University um, studying uh, environmental humanities. And my question was, um, I just got very curious to know more about when you said at the limits that you investigate this um, mm. yeah with the limits and i wonder um if you can elaborate a little bit more on that and and mainly just because i'm i'm curious to know if if it's sort of to break down the limits or to rework the limits or create new limits or is this still this understanding of having this binary um two things being separated, non-human, human, or is it to sort of merge it together again and, and get away from that more Eurocentric understanding uh, of, of this division? Uh, so I was curious to know more about the methods working at the limits, uh, yeah. Yeah, great, thanks, that's a, that's, that's a great question. Um, I think it's certainly not an attempt to, to kind of stick with, with binary thinking, is the first thing I'd say, yeah, but it yeah. is a recognition that you know, binaries of various sorts um, have occurred and continue to occur across history. I mean, we've looked at the history of, of Latin America here, but, um, but elsewhere too. Um, and so, you know, that being the case, we want to think about the, the limits that those, uh, that those binaries produce as kind of, as productive zones, as of zones of hybridization, for example. I'll read you actually just a couple of sentences from the, um, the introduction that, uh, where we kind of tackle this head on. So we say that, um, uh, that the essays collected in this volume demonstrate a critical perspective anchored in this zone of conflict and multiplicity at the edge of what is turned human. 
So this is kind of the Latourian idea that these binary separations never really work as well as those who create them intend. Um, can generate fresh assessments of the way in which Latin American, Latin American cultural production has confronted historical, ethical, political and economic processes. Um, and so our particular interest here is promoting awareness in which of the ways in which the decentering of the human subject, which is so often invoked now as a means of encouraging radical equality across species lines, has also been used as an instrument of, of oppression and exclusion across history. Um, so, and there's a bit I won't go into now, we sort of look at, um, there's some interesting writing by, by Derrida on the kind of the idea of the limit as a, as a productive or kind of fruitful space for reflection. So I guess it's, uh, it's, it's finding a new space for critique. Um, does that, I don't know if that answers your question, but. Well, I think so. It's just, uh, I, I like the idea very much, uh, working at the limits. It's, it's just that fear of creating new limits or sort of drawing, but maybe that's also okay to, to move and rework the limits. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I'm just very, very interested in reading the volume in, in general. So, so it's, it's just, uh, yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks very much for your interest. All right, and we have a question from Tina. Good morning, everybody, or it's morning here in Vancouver, British Columbia. <laughs> um, very much enjoyed the overview of the book. Um, and so I'm going to ask you a sort of self-interested question. I'm it. a historian, as uh, Dolly and Finarna know. So I want to go back to the beginning of your talk and, and ask you um, two questions that come from where I sit here. Um, as a historian on the West Coast. So why do you think history is so useful in understanding the possibilities of, that are offered by the post-human? Sure. And then um, related to that, and this has to do with the kind of history department I'm in, uh, I was thinking about indigenous histories in particular, mm. history of indigenous people, studies of indigeneity, and um, I don't know Latin American uh, literatures that you refer to very well, but I'm wondering if they have a, uh, a particular role to play, particular in, I don't know, studies of enchantment and entanglements, for instance. Sure. So their histories of indigenous peoples. Great. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for two really, really, really important questions, actually. Um, the first one on why history is so important. Um, I think there is a real danger in the way that the humanities works within, within the academy, and this is how I see it anyway, of presentism, of because I think funding models and various kinds of institutional pressures, certainly here in the UK, seem to reward the production of the new. So I, feel, I think we can feel like, you know, we're, we're constantly being asked to come up with new critical frameworks, new concepts, new um, readings. I mean, as I'm not a historian by training myself and not in the history department, but in a, you know, one that is literature and film, there's a, there's a risk of, um, so forgetting as the, you know, as the, the, the biblical phrase that there's nothing new under the sun. Now, I don't think that's entirely true, but you know, there, there have been, that ideas come round and they come in, things, things do repeat themselves. And um, I think with this post, oh, it's in the name, isn't it? This idea of the post-human, there's that danger of a kind of 
teleological view is that we're moving beyond. We're thinking about new uh, relations between human and the environment. And this is a really exciting way to kind of, um, to find a sort of a more inclusive form of uh, politics and equality, which is true. But I think the thing that surprised me um, when we first did this project was the, how the, the, was the, the importance of the historical uh, perspective. And I think it does really help avoid that, that, that risk of presentism, uh, at least if you're sort of working in a, in a theory oriented way in the, in the humanities. Um, and then your second question on indigenous histories. Um, yes, they are, they are crucial. Um, in this, in this volume, I think the, the chapters that, that engage most fully with that would be Joey Whitfield's chapter on the Colombian film uh, Embrace of the Serpent, El Abrazo de, de, de la Serpiente, and in a slightly more minor way, um, Neil Garrity's chapter at the end on Patricio Guzman. Now, the work that I've started doing since this volume, um, which is about um, cultural responses to the, to the Pacific Ocean on the, uh, on the Pacific coast of South America, so looking at Chile and Peru in particular, I've been looking a lot more into this and it's, it's kind of remarkable the extent to which indigenous relations to the ocean are kind of drawn on in the last 10, 15 years by uh, artists and writers of various sorts as a kind of supposedly presenting a model for uh, you know, more sustainable relations with the natural world. Now all kinds of problems come, come along with the way in which that's done. I mean, Guzman himself actually, the film he made after Nostalgia for the Light called The Pearl Button, kind of does that in all sorts of, uh, uh, all, all sorts of problematic ways. Um, so yes, they are crucial and there's, there's been a lot of debate um, about what role those kinds of um, narratives and histories have that we sort of is partially represented here, but there's, there's an awful lot more out there. Great, thank you. Mehdi, you had a question. Let me unmute you, hold on. Okay, go ahead, Mehdi. Hello, yes, in, thank you very much indeed. It's a very interesting book. Uh, my question, uh, relates to storytelling mm -hmm. or more accurately maybe the oral traditions in Latin America yes. and how they particularly could have played or play a role in as, as a space storytelling as a space it, it the role it plays in hosting the more uh, one could say dark side of the entanglement with the non-humans because mm -hmm. taking away these limits could do could be perceived with great danger, I mean, ontologically, yeah. based on your context. And I, and I feel these, um, and I, I'm always curious about these non-Western contexts and whether they're oral traditions, mm. they provide these spaces where we can deal with these fears or deal with these ontological dangers. And storytelling is something that I've, I've, had, I've focused on before. So I'm wondering about that area. Sure, thanks. That's a, that's a fascinating question. Now, I don't think we have, we don't sort of the oral tradition of storytelling is not something that we, that we tackle head on in the volume. Uh, although you're right that it is, um, particularly in indigenous communities, but in other, in other types of rural communities in, in Latin America, it's, it's hugely important. Um, 
But in the first section, the section on witnessing and necropolitics and spaces of violence and death, there the question of how stories are told and how they're passed on is, is absolutely central. Um, and I suppose it's, again, we're not, I'm not speaking exclusively about the oral tradition here, but thinking about storytelling um, as a kind of vertiginous at times, collaboration between the human and the non-human. So thinking about media then in a kind of more active way, whether that's uh, the printed word, whether it's online, uh, online platforms, new media, as Liliana writes about in her, her article, whether it's uh, the particular dynamics of, of installation art. Um, so I think that there absolutely is a kind of uh, a desire to, to kind of, to investigate that, that aspect of, of how stories are told and relayed. Um, that that seems particularly important when human life in spaces in which human life itself is so fragile um, that it's not in itself a guarantee you can't be relied upon as a guarantee that you know that stories will continue to be told all right thank you very much um so i was i was wondering in particular about this um necropolitics -pol section yeah. and about death. I mean, partly my own interest because I, I work on extinction right now and how we right, right. Uh, show and think about, um, you know, the death, permanent death of, of a species and it disappearing. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was wondering then in that section, though, what the tension, if you're going to talk about limits between death and life. Mm. So, so where how do they play with that limit? Because I think that that's actually one of the things that it isn't like nature culture. We're seeing, okay, well, really it's nature culture, but life right. and death yeah. are the same way. They're really life death. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. I mean, I think, I don't think I read you the right bit of the introduction, but that is um, Lucy. So Lucy's work is the one, I, I suppose I'm the more, I've done more of the sort of, ecology side of things and Lucy is the one who's really specialized in necropolitics and that sort of stuff in her work um, but yes that life death is absolutely one of the limits uh, that, that that we set out to play with and you're right that it's not as easily blurrable if, <laughs> to invent a word as, as some of the others but I would say that nonetheless um, and I'm thinking here of Natalia Aguilar Vasquez's chapter on, on Teresa Margolles and, and Oscar Munoz the work of those installation artists nonetheless uh, sets out to do that and it makes it particularly disturbing and unsettling. So um, if I remember rightly, one of the installations, I think it's by Teresa Margolles, the, you, you walk into the, to the exhibition space and there's a sort of droplets of water and the sign tells you that it's water that's been used to wash the corpses of people who've been killed in the drug war in, um, in Mexico. So um, there is there is still an attempt to kind of to unsettle that that what occasionally seems like the hardest of of limits. Um, yeah, in, in, in a way, that's really interesting because there's that to me is doing the same thing that, of course, in Latin America, um, the traditional Catholic spirituality that involves saints and saints bodies. Yeah 
And that blurring is in a way similar, right? right. Holy water and the way you can transport um, that kind of uh, life through something that doesn't have life itself. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely. Very similar to me. Yeah, and in fact, uh, Neil Geraghty in, in his chapter at the end, and this is uh, conversations that I've had with him and others, I think we, we both share a sort of, a bit of a feeling, a hunch that some new materialist writing is a bit like displaced theology, actually, in, in some ways. Um, and when I said, I said brief, briefly that he kind of, he takes up uh, the new materialist trope of enchantment and gives it a different spin when he's writing about Guzman's nostalgia for the light. It's a very Catholic spin that he, that he gives it. And he says, actually, you know, the way that Guzman films these remnants of bones and the sort of intensely tactile, uh, haptic images of the, the remnants of the disappeared whose bones were thrown into the Atacama Desert by Pinochet, is offering a kind of communion. So I think the, um, and, he, and he talks about it in a specifically Catholic um, sense. So yes, at least at least one of our contributors contributors agrees with you there, uh, Dolly. Okay, is there anybody else who'd like to jump in with a question for Paul? I guess could you tell us a little bit about you said your your next project that you're working on? Sure. Could you tell us a little bit about where that's going as we close this off so we know what to look forward to <laughs> sure yeah yeah well yeah in a, in in due course um so yeah my my current research which um i've just started over the last year and a half really is looking at um cultural responses to the pacific ocean in chile and peru um over the from about 1960 to the to the present um, looking at audiovisual media, but fairly broadly broadly understood, and that has several strands that I think are kind of interconnected. So, one of them is the kind of is the sort of most purely, you know, in this in a small sense, ecological thinking about relations, you know, questions of sustainability, uh, relations to the ocean, and that's where um, yeah, Tina's question about indigenous histories and sort of indigenous engagement with the ocean is really really visible. Uh, Inglesman's work in the work of Cecilia Ricuña and others. Um, then also looking at thinking about it as and looking at port cities, in particular, and port port cities as of, as of, of spaces of really intense aesthetic creativity, but also political creativity as well. Um, so those are at least sort of two strands that I'm working on. I've got a period of research leave coming up in August for about six months, which I'm very much looking forward to. So I've got more time to kind of develop the, uh, that work there. But I've, yeah, I've written mostly, I should have an article coming out later this year, I hope, on some contemporary Chilean documentary and how it deals with indigenous relationships to the ocean. Um, and kind of replicate certain colonial dynamics, sort of colonial visuality, um, whilst having very good intentions. So that's, that's some of the stuff I've been working on. Fantastic. Looking forward to seeing that. Um, so I'd like to just thank you, Paul, for joining us today and, and talking about this book, which comes out next week. Um, and so that's that's something for people to definitely take a take a look at. And as you pointed out, it's Latin American culture and the limits of the human. Um, 
And so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting a copy for our greenhouse library as well. We'll have to put it in our order list. Wonderful. Um, so this is, this is fabulous to also have that kind of diversity and think outside of um, our European frameworks that, that many of us on the call are coming from, but instead realize that there are very specific uh, historical, cultural things that we can learn um, by really delving into these questions elsewhere. Um, and so I'm excited that you and Lucy um, took this project on. Well, thank you very much. It's been, uh, it's been a pleasure to join you and thank you all for your, your, um, your really incisive questions that were really, really productive. Thanks very much.